Hey, this is Women's Soccer Spotlight, a podcast featuring the stories of women playing, coaching, and working in soccer. I'm your host, Sam Weber, and the goal of this show is to contribute to the ongoing dialogue about gender bias by highlighting inspirational stories of those who have forged careers in women's soccer and exposing unbelievable moments of discrimination. This week's episode features FC Kansas City midfielder and NWSL champion, aka my good friend, Yael Aberbush. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? <laughs> good. Good, good, good. So, before we get started, I have a great question for you that I think everyone wants to know that's ever met you. And we're going to solve this once and for all and put this to bed. How do you say and pronounce your actual name? I had a feeling this was going to be the question. I actually am working on doing a little youtube video with the pronunciation but i'll share the secret with you now oh boy <laughs> yes my first name is yael so two syllables i think there should probably be a little accent mark in there somewhere but yael and my last name is averbush got the last name down so i'm very proud of myself because i have been pronouncing your name correctly for a while but I've heard other people say Yale, and it always throws me off because I'm like, get very self-conscious whether or not I'm saying it right. So I'm, I'm proud of myself. No, I think, I think that's a common thing people deal with. And I actually, my mom hates when I say this, but I actually think that people sometimes are awkward and don't want to talk to me because they don't really know how to say my name. So I just want to make it clear, Yale. Um, yeah, a lot of people say Yale. That's actually closer than some other tries I've heard. So if you're saying Yale, that's okay. Stick with it. I'll respond still. <laughs> That's great. What's the story behind your name? Uh, does it mean something? Yeah, so it's a Hebrew name, and there's um, it's from the Bible, the Old Testament, and my mom lived in Israel for a while after college. She's not Israeli, but she's um, now considers Israel a second home and has an adoptive family there that she lived with during her time, and I guess knew, knew well and heard the name. I mean, it's the equivalent of I wouldn't say Sarah, but it's a very common name there. Hmm. Like everybody from Israel knows the name Yael. So she heard the name a lot and I guess liked it and also felt like it'd be fun to torture me and have no one be able to say my name. (laughs) Well, it's definitely unique, which I think fits for a professional soccer player. So that's great. Well, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now that we put that to rest, uh, we can move on to the more important stuff, which is today is a very exciting day for you because what kind of news did you get today? Yeah, so I have officially now, I guess, launched a business called Techno Football LLC, and the LLC was added today. Um, so I had a vision for a while for creating um, more, more of an in-depth training system for players, in addition to the fun little goofy videos I put on YouTube, Instagram, with training ideas. So now Techno Football LLC is official, and it's going to be launching later this summer, but working on creating a full training system that players will be able to uh, take part in every week. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. So how is preseason been going for you with FC Kansas City? Getting excited for your home opener pretty soon? Yeah, so preseason officially ended a couple days ago, and now is our one-week prep for our first actual NWSL game you know preseason is always interesting because there's kind of some stages to it you get in to camp and there's like the first three days that 
honestly, I think everyone hates. I don't know. I personally really hate the first three days because everyone's kind of nervous. There's a little anxiety. People are trying way too hard. No one's really <laughs> themselves yet. Nobody will admit they're sore or tired. Like we all know we can't walk. Let's be honest. <laughs> um, so, and then there's the, the middle stage of preseason where it's kind of the grind. Um, you're in the, the two weeks where it's no longer new and it's not coming to an end soon. It's just going and going. <laughs> and so we made it through that. And now we're kind of in that last stage where we haven't had a regular season game yet. So it doesn't feel like season, but we're out of the, um, the real tough part of the grind. So it's been interesting. And we have a really new team this year at FC Kansas city. And all of a sudden I went from being a new player on the team last year to now being one of kind of the few returners. So I feel like almost, a I am a veteran player in age, but almost like a veteran FCKC player as well. That's awesome. So who's the uh, home opener against this time around? Against Western New York Flash. So, Ooh. And if you're, well, I guess you wouldn't be listening yet, but I was going to say if you're in Kansas City, <laughs> um, you can come to the game on Saturday. They'll have to come to, I guess, a later, a later game. They'll know the result of the game by the time they actually listen to this. Exactly. Hopefully it's a good one. <laughs> nice. So uh, now that you've been at Kansas City for a year and you're going into your second year, um, what are things that you really like about the club? What are some things that maybe you wish could be improved or could be better uh, too? Yeah, I think I really appreciate it here because it's a very low-stress environment compared to other teams I've been a part of. And a big thing for me is the, the philosophy and the style of play. And our coach, the head coach, Flatco, uh, is very insistent on a playing philosophy that he makes clear from day one. And everything we do in training supports that philosophy. And also, um, he's very even-keeled. And I think I, I appreciate that more than anything, especially at this point in my career, is that a lot of coaches, you know, you have a bad game or two, and they change everything. We have to change <laughs> our whole philosophy, change our formation. And that's really unsettling as a player. And... Flacco stays true to what he believes and the team buys into that and it's really comforting to know that you know win or lose in the beginning of the season we're sticking with what we've trained and it will eventually pay off and he's proven that it does pay off so uh, for me personally and I think for the team as a whole it's a really wonderful feeling I, I know obviously everywhere in NWSL there need to be some improvements in terms of how the teams are marketed the general um, level of the the facilities from you know top to bottom I think all the clubs can improve that and I mean obviously we all want to make more money but I think before that piece even there's a lot of logistics organization um, creative solutions to things that don't take money that could be improved everywhere what are some examples of some of those things yeah, so I've actually talked a lot to um, Jeff Plush, the commissioner of the league, and to a lot of other players about some creative solutions. And I think it comes in the form of a positive experience for players. Um, you know, we get it. We're not going to make sometimes even enough money to live. And we're okay with that as players. That's a sacrifice we're making. But some of the things that could be made better are... Um, you know, opportunities outside of playing. Well, one, being treated respectfully, which I think a lot of places now are doing a better job of. But there have been situations in the league, to be quite frank, that where players were not treated with respect and somebody making a minimum salary is traded three times a season, not even told about it until they get an email from their new team. I mean, things like that are just unacceptable. But 
uh, working now on some creative solutions, for example, offering um, either subsidized or paid for coaching courses for players so that while we're still playing, we can get our coaching licenses and not have to pay. I mean, it, it's expensive to get those licenses mm -hmm. if you're not already a full-time coach. So things like that, um, leadership type experiences, being able to go to the NSCA convention and attend lectures and continue to learn, that's all worth a lot for us as players and people who will eventually be contributing in other fields. So the more that the league can empower us and provide us with opportunities, the less important it is that we get paid more right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, Not that we don't want that. It's also very important that we, that we <laughs> improve um, and increase the salary cap and all that. So I don't want to act like that's not important, but I think there are creative solutions in the meantime. Yep, in the interim. Well, yeah, speaking on the pay subject, what's kind of your thoughts on the whole equal play, equal pay um, approach and what's going on with the national team and how does that affect the NWSL? Um, and yeah, what are some of your thoughts on, on what's going on? Yeah, I'm actually really curious to see how it will affect the NWSL. I think that it's a very important move because women's soccer in this country is at the forefront of the women's game around the world. Uh, we are leaders as a nation in terms of opportunity, the money invested in programming, and just our level of play as we should in this past World Cup. I mean, I think the dominance still in, in this year after, you know, more teams are added to the World Cup and and more countries are finding women's programs to be dominant like the US team was in this past World Cup really says a lot about women's soccer in this country. So I think it's so important that the women who now have visibility and kind of transcended into more of the pop culture. We have women on our U.S. women's national team who are now considered celebrities. So mm -hmm. for those women to put their name out there and take a stand and say, we don't think that we're being treated well enough, is not only uh, setting a standard for U.S. soccer, and maybe it's a wake-up call that U.S. soccer needs, but it's also important for women in all fields and in other countries who are fighting to make their soccer experience uh, more equal. So I think, you know, you, you look at a lot of the, the other women's national teams are really struggling. Mm -hmm. And for them to see, wow, the U.S. women are okay to stand up to their federation, we can do it too. I think that's so, so important. And it will be a big move for, for women's soccer around the world and women in general in any field who, who now will be empowered to say, okay, it's, I realize it's not right. It's okay to say something. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it's taken so long for people to stand up in this way? Um, do you think it's because now that there's a bigger platform, especially after coming off of the World Cup win? Um, and why is now kind of the time? Because there has been success in the past. Obviously, the women's team has been um, very successful at the Olympics, at the World Cup, um, have had a, a good presence. Um, but why now? That's a really good question. I think definitely the I know the U.S. Women's National Team has pushed for many years to move move forward in terms of the negotiations with U.S. soccer, in terms of um, being role models for young female players. So I think that that team has really been on the forefront of constantly making progress, mm -hmm. even if it's not in ways that are as visible as, as this big statement. Mm -hmm. But like you said, potentially now it's come to the time where it needs to be more visible to make that next step. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, there have been times in the past where the team has boycotted and not or not gone to certain events. And, and um, I don't even know what's happened in the past negotiations. But I think now, like you said, the platform is huge. 
winning the the World Cup in such a dominant manner has now given the team a platform to say, okay, we've proven again and again now, and even now one more time, that yeah. we are the absolute best in the world. There's nothing um, acceptable about uh, how we're being treated or compensated based on that. Yeah. Where, do you, where would you like to see soccer in the next five years uh, on the women's side? I think the next huge step for us on the women's side is to um, start to work on the disparity between some of the players in the league and the national team players, not only in terms of compensation, but in terms of level of play and general um, viability as a career, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, in the past, U.S. soccer has done a really good job of providing programming so that the U.S. women's national team could be prepared for big events to win World Cups, Olympics. uh, And that's been very important. And there have been attempts at having a professional league, which have failed, the WUSA, the WPS, and now the NWSL, I think it needs to be celebrated, is going into its fourth season and will be in its fourth season by the time people listen to this. That's a huge accomplishment for our women's soccer in this country. But the next step is now to make that league the place that prepares players to play at the highest level in the world stage. That league needs to be the place where the, those players are getting identified right. to get a chance with the national team. And not just because it's there, but actually legitimately where a player like Carly Lloyd says, okay, I need to get back to the Houston Dash because that's where I want to train and play every day to prepare me to play and and win a World Cup. So I think we're a little bit away from that right now. I think that's going to take some time, but over the next five years, I'd love to see it be at the point by the next World Cup where Mm -hmm. players are actually being prepared by their clubs and eventually where those clubs are um, paying the salaries and supporting not only the national team players, but everyone else to create that environment. Yeah. Man, when it gets to that point... uh... It's just going to be a, a really huge moment to celebrate. I think there's a lot of work and a lot of people who have uh, just been uh, not in the spotlight, who've been working towards this progress. Uh, and that's kind of the whole point of this podcast is kind of pointing out some of the stories of those women who have been uh, creating that path forward for the success of women's soccer. Uh, so it's going to be, be a great day when that finally happens. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I agree. It's going to be a slow process. And I don't think there will be really a day when we say, ah, we've done it. I think, you know, that will take years and years. But that's really the next step where everybody's club is their main place to build build a successful career where they will be visible. They'll get the best playing and training environment and be able to make a living that they feel comfortable with. And at that point, I think then we can really say we've made it and soccer, women's soccer in our country has made it. Yeah. So now that you have been a professional for a while and you haven't been uh, paid as well as we'd like everyone to see, uh, as well as we'd like everyone to be, uh, what's some of the craziest stuff you've had to do just to get by or, um, or things that you've seen if, if maybe you haven't struggled as much in that way? Yeah. Oh, man. Um, it's crazy. When I think of how long I've been playing and all the things that have happened now, when I think back, I'm like, whoa, I'm kind of old. <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, I would say first the first thing that comes to mind is that when WPS folded, I was first upset because it felt like a failure to be part of a league that didn't, you know, that had to fold. And then I kind of was like, oh, wait, I don't actually have a job. <laughs> um, so I was living at home with my parents at the time, which was very nice because that afforded me the opportunity to have saved whatever money I did make in my first two seasons playing and obviously mm-hmm. the comfort of my mom 
making me food, <laughs> my dad filling my car with gas, whatever needed to happen. But I was very unaware and had a basically very quickly had an offer to go play in Russia, which was offering good money for women's soccer. It's, it's a little bit relative, but so I didn't even think twice. I was like, oh, whatever. It'll be a short term, couple months playing Champions League and go. And I mean, this was seriously the worst, <laughs> probably the worst experience of my life. Not even soccer wise. It just was. Across the I board. was scared for my life. What? I was like, oh, I have this could be a whole nother podcast. Um, <laughs> I mean, this was a really, really scary, bad experience. And I'll, it just started with, I'll tell you, there are two stories indicative of how bad it was. But it started off with two, when we got there, we had to go through two days of medical tests mm -hmm. to be able to play. And including showing up at this building that was supposed to be a hospital, which I've never in my life seen a hospital look this grungy, but whatever. <laughs> and they bring out this little needle in a, um, like a syringe and a little carrying, I don't even know, in a little dish basically. And it wasn't, it wasn't covered in plastic. It didn't look sanitary. And I was thinking to myself, no way am I letting them put this in my arm. <laughs> and I basically was like, I can send you my blood work. I just went to the doctor. I just got a physical. Do anything. Uh -huh. And they're basically like, no, if you want to play, do this. So oh I, my gosh. I mean, Essentially, I just like crossed my fingers and was like, please. <laughs> um, yeah, and we got MRIs on literally every part of our body, both ankles, both knees, back, both hips, both shoulders, both elbows, both wrists. Oh, my um, gosh. X-rays on pretty much everything. I had to go to the gyno in Russia. Oh, my gosh. It was the freaking weirdest experience of my life. Um, <laughs> I mean – when I say every doctor, I mean like every doctor ever. <laughs> and so it started like that. And why did they, I mean, why do you think yeah. that they made I'll you just, go through those, like all those tests and everything? That's abnormal, well, right? Yeah. I mean, apparently it's protocol to be able to play in the league. Everyone had to do it. But that has, I mean, that has to be, when I think about the amount of money that must cost to do all those MRIs. And right. Yeah, seriously. Like yeah. I can understand a basic, a basic EKG is necessary and like, a basic physical probably I don't know what else would really be necessary I don't know it was bizarre but anyway yeah I got out of there I paid for my own flight home because I eventually was like I have to get out of here I really felt unsafe a lot of things happened that I was like I'm definitely being sex trafficked this is horrible oh my gosh <laughs> yeah it was really weird how long did you uh, last over there how long were you actually I was there for pretty much exactly a month we I was supposed to be there until we lost in Champions League. So we lost and I literally flew home the next day. Oh, my gosh. I, I booked my own flight because the club was like, yeah, we'll book you a flight. No problem. And I'm like, I don't know when this is going to be. I got to get out. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, crazy. Yeah, definitely more stories on that another time because I, I could seriously talk for a couple hours about the stuff that happened there. All right. We'll do a we'll do a follow up one of your international experience because you've played for a couple different teams abroad. I'm sure you have some some good stories from that. Okay. That's great. Awesome. Well, thanks for your time today. I think this was a lot of really awesome information and great stories. Uh, glad that you survived your, your time in Russia and uh, yeah, barely. don't have... <laughs> <Still excited>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure you learned a lot about your body uh, from all those tests. I hope you at least got the results. Of... Oh, I didn't get the results. I just know thank goodness I don't have any diseases from using that needle. So that's good. <laughs> Did you like come home and get a bunch of tests done to follow up to make sure they didn't like oh, infect you with anything? I was so traumatized when I got home. 
<laughs> I didn't actually get tests done. I think I was just like, if I feel any symptoms of anything, I'm going immediately to the doctor. <laughs> That's great. Awesome. Well, thanks for your time. I'm glad that we, one, know how to pronounce your name officially, two, found out about your time in Russia, and three, got your thoughts on the NWSL and just the state of women's soccer in general. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. And definitely now no one has an excuse to mispronounce my name, so I'll be expecting perfection on that. Awesome. (laughs) All right. We'll see ya.